everyone, and welcome to the Modern Therapist Guide to Nothing, where on each episode, we take a topic, theme, or thing and overanalyze the hell out of it and make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave, and I'm joined here with Greg, and we are both uh, mental health counselors, therapists, what other other slang you want to use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and shrinks. I, it shrinks. Yeah. I don't think I've ever called myself a shrink. Have you ever actually said that? No, no, I, I know. I wouldn't, I don't even understand what it means. <laughs> yeah. I kind of hope I never do either. So. <laughs> All right. Want to get into today's topic? What, yeah. What's our topic, Greg? Well, today we're going to be talking about the book, The Alchemist. And I think this is an extremely important book because it talks about something we all sort of struggle with, and that's self-actualization, you know, becoming who we are, um, where to start, how does that, what does that process look like? You know, it's, it's- Who wrote The Alchemist? All right, it's written by um, Paolo Coelho. (laughs) (laughs) Is is this a test? (laughs) What year was it written? (laughs) What's the publishing company? I do the math on that. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so- uh, (laughs) I mean, honestly, this is one of my favorite books. This is a book, as you know, you see copies of these pop into the office and they pop right back out. Yeah. <laughs> because when I get into a gym, I'm like, hey, have you read The Alchemist? You know, I mean, it's really, I, I really think it's that useful. And I think before we go through each individual character and, and, and the process in which the main character, Santiago, um, meets the alchemist and finds out what his, you know, his path of his life as I should just go a quick, we're going to do a quick run through. So it's basically a story. It's, it's, I, you know, Dave, it's something that we're going to have to maybe another cast is it's sort of a hero's journey. Oh, it's totally a hero's journey, right? It's a hero's journey. Right. But, um, so it's about this young boy who he starts off, his parents want him to be in, um, in a monastery, but something tells him that that's not, that that's not what's right for him. And so he decides he wants to be a shepherd. And from there he has these sort of, like, he's always got this nagging sense. Like we would call it anxiety and Kierkegaard would call it the sickness unto dying, but it's like this feeling where like, we just don't feel, we feel like something's off, something's not right. And it's, it's a call to action. And he feels like he needs, he, there's something more out there for him. And so at first he, he has a dream. He speaks to a gypsy. He, he speaks to an old king and this puts him on a path to cross into Africa where he, he goes on a quest to sort of find his treasure in the pyramids where along the journey, he falls in love. He gets robbed. He, uh, you know, learns all the lessons of life just because he took action. He decided that there was something that needed to be done. Wasn't exactly sure what it was, but he, he took the, he put one foot in front of the other and started on a path. So that's, that's another huge theme in the story. Um, is sort of getting action, but I can start with the the main character Santiago. Can I just fill everybody in on this book a little bit? So we yeah, kind of breezed over. Go. All right. So the Alchemist, this book, because we're we're we are encouraging people to read this book. Because Greg, you you shared this book with me, and this was one of two books that you have shared with me that I, I would honestly say are kind of life life changing. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because it has. And it's kind of woven its way into so many different conversations, you know, and we'll have a conversation about the other book in another episode, but this one in particular, I bring up frequently 
because of the things that you just talked about, like that personal legend and, you know, all the different themes. So this was by Paulo Coelho, as you said, written in 1988. That's not that long ago. It feels like it was written in the year 88. Dude, it feels like it was in the Bible. I know. No kidding. It it, it was written on the wind or or something, you know, like it just passed (laughs) down. It's, it's wild. I know. It is, the, it is so wild. And it's so this he's a Brazilian author. But again, like you can kind of tell, obviously, this is a story written by an international author versus like an American author. But it's so prevalent to so many themes in our everyday life. So I just want to kind of acknowledge that. So people will hopefully hear this. And if you haven't read The Alchemist, they'll they'll go give that a read after they listen to this. Or maybe they'll pause okay. it and go read it real quick. Yeah, read it. And Dave, please, because I once I get going on this thing, you're going to have to like pause me every now and then because I could just talk about this book forever. Um, just, you know, please jump in at anytime you want. Sure. But so we'll start we'll start with Santiago. And, you know, like I said, his family wanted him to leave the monastery. I mean, to, to go to the monastery because that was sort of, you know, just that was a good path. Right. That would be a successful yeah. path. And um, that's another theme like what's a successful path and what's not, you know, it's like a societal demand. We still, we see that all the time. And so he decided he wanted to be a shepherd um, because he thinks, and this is a quote from the book, it's the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. If there's one thing I can say about this book, Dave, I don't know if you agree, but this book itself, the whole theme, the whole book is a lesson, but there's a million little lessons sprinkled throughout. You you could stop and, and have a lesson in each one of these, you know, Every chapter, there's a le- like a few lessons. So right there, it's the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. That's powerful. And let's let's also acknowledge, like, so this isn't con- the shepherd job, <laughs> yeah. isn't it's, like a desirable job, right? It's no. not like he's he's not trying to be like when he settles for that, he's kind of settling. But for right. him, there was something very comforting about that, and I think that's important to acknowledge because for him, that shepherd job, first of all, was attainable. Mm-hmm. Second of all, he kind of acknowledged he was good at it, right? And then also there was comfort in there. The right. animals, he knew how he learned how to speak to the animals, or he could, you know, he could he had the ability to kind of communicate with them without communicating. He understood them, they understood him. There was so much about that that was desirable for him, right? Right. And it's that that comfort that's that's a good thing, and it could almost be a trap too at times that he's yeah. gonna find out. So, and, and like that, exactly the thing you're talking about right, right now is, so he wanted to be a shepherd and it's like sort of a step down from the monastery and people would think like, why would you want to do that? And that's, that, that thought process is terrible because like everyone is going to have to have their own path in life, their own, we'll, we'll come to know it as a personal legend. Like I have a patient, for example, and he works at a liquor store. And he feels like he should be doing more with his life. He works with the story. He's like, my friends are like, oh, you're still here and all this. But he works He works with his friends. He makes good money. He's been there forever. And he really enjoys it. And he enjoys seeing the people every day. And he and he loves every second of it. And I and he and he really loves what he does. But he's he's looking for something else. Why? Because it's like society says that he should be. And I asked him a question. I said, you know, if you owned the bar, I mean, if you owned the liquor store, would things be different? And he said, yeah, of course, I, I'd be completely happy there. But what's the difference? What he's doing for a job, there's no difference. He would still be sweeping the floors. He would still be selling the things. He would still be at the cash register helping everyone every day. But it's just this idea of what everyone else thinks about what he's doing would change. It, didn't, it doesn't really matter what he thinks about it. And that's 
that's sort of what we're talking about here with Santiago. So he's already sort of, um, there's already something special about him. We find that out right away. Yeah, so much about the way we view things is based on titles mm-hmm. and labels and positions. And it's so arbitrary and like irrelevant. But in society, in our society, we've put so much importance on that for, I mean, even, even the work that we do, <laughs> in all honesty, there is, it's very important work, but I was all already doing very important work in my opinion. And when I came over to doing this work, I love it. I'm glad I'm doing it, but it did feel like society viewed it as more important than the other work I was doing. Now, I've shared this with you. There wasn't a very big pay jump. <laughs> so it's not like I, um, I'm rolling in the dough, but it was more of labels and titles that m- gave it its importance. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate sometimes that that's kind of what drives us. And, you know, I feel comfortable because that's not necessarily what drove me. What drove me was more of my passion to and motivation to learn more and to try different types of work that I couldn't do without, you know, getting education and all that stuff. But um, yeah, if I was driven by other factors, I probably would feel like a fraud or feel very disappointed in myself. Well, that's, that's like what everyone, so when we're, when children think about children and everyone's wondering, or even, you know, young adults, whoever, even, even people our age, we're all driven by the amount of choices out there. Oh, well, what if I, if I choose this title or I have this job, you know, will that be good enough? And the amount of choices that we have are the problem. For years and years and years, for most of human existence, there was no choice. You were born and then you were something. And that was it. If you were born on a dairy farm, you weren't like, what am I going to do? What's my title going to be? It's going to be dairy farmer. And that's it. And the amount of anxiety that, that you know, that, that protected you from is, is staggering. And, and the people... We just don't realize that today, that there, it doesn't have to, we, we weren't meant to be this way. We weren't, we sort of, it's sort of a mismatch between, you know, our evolution and societal demands. Like I, yeah. I, I, this comes up a lot for me. Can I, can I give an analogy that I think fits this really well, but sound, it's Please. kind of ridiculous. So, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> we view everything like having more choices. We view it as us being more sophisticated as, if, as us having you know, more luxuries, whatever. We view it as better for whatever reason. However, how many people can relate to having, like, for example, having Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, you have all these great uh, streaming sources to view, you know, movies. And do you sit there and say, oh, this is great. I can watch this movie or that movie. No, half the time you sit there scrolling through all the movies, unable to determine what one you want to watch. And you end up wasting more time doing that. And I don't know if anyone else is in this, in this boat, but like, sometimes I spend so much time doing that, that I end up not even having enough time to actually watch a movie. Cause so then I end up like popping on a TV show instead, cause it's shorter, you know, it's like having all these options and choices doesn't necessarily always equate easier life. Listen, the first time I hate to do it and I, we have to get pretentious at some point, but Kierkegaard said anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. That was the first time that word was used in sort of a a mental health way. And and that's exactly what he meant is what you're saying. The more choices you have, the more anxiety. All right. So next we go to the gypsy woman. Can you move that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Santiago had a dream. Gypsy woman. Yeah. (laughs) Did I say something different? No, I I just like that's her name. Gypsy woman. (laughs) 
Okay. Well, I can say gypsy because I, I have, well, I guess I don't, but that, we're, my family is Hungarian. Maybe that's somewhere. I know it's Romani where no one's really sure. Whatever. Okay. It doesn't matter. I like the gypsy woman. I have a, a tattoo of a gypsy. So he has a dream. Santiago had a dream and the gypsy woman sort of confirms that dream. Her advice is sort of, you know, here it is. Follow the dream. You had this dream and this is what you have to do. She kind of, she kind of um, interprets his, his dream, but just sort of, she just kind of like reflects right back what he, what his dream was to him. And he's like, yeah, I, I kind of know that. And her, her big, my one of my big takeaways from her is she wants him to view the world like a child, you know? And I think that's, I think that's an awesome sort of way to do things. And that's sort of a Taoist principle too, where people think like, you know, even patients will be like, I feel empty or there's an emptiness. But when you think about emptiness, that's, that's sort of like where you want to be. That's, that's a great place to start. You know, your brain, your brain, you already have this like the pre, uh, preconceived notions of things. Think of like a snowstorm, right? If you look out the window and no one's been on the snow yet, beautiful, right? You start there. It's like this yeah. fresh landscape. You see a lot more with an empty mind than you would a mind that's filled with all kinds of things. Um, I'm going to assume that's scary for people. It's got to be, right? But that's the thing. Scary is good. Scary means we have something to do. Like, if you're not scared, you're sort of distracted. We should always be kind of scared because that's what keeps us moving. I, I think, you know, so so what so what happens with her, another thing that happens with her is she sort of, so this is like a confirmation of what he thinks he needs to do, what he thinks his personal legend is starting to become. He he has a choice. Like, all right, do I keep being a shepherd or do I follow this this you know, pipe dream of finding my treasure by the pyramids, which is crazy, right? But what happens there is he's given a choice. That's the first time we're going to mention choice. And it's probably going to be, we're going to mention choice a bunch of times, but um, he has a choice. And so now he's put in a place where anytime we have a choice and we're about to make a decision, that space between having a choice, knowing we want to do something or knowing we should do something and acting on it, the space in between that, that's what anxiety is. That's what a lot of people are dealing with right now. Like if, that space between, oh, I have this, um, I have this thing I need to do. I have this thing that I think might be important, and actually doing it. That space in the middle, the longer you stay there, that's anxiety. That's like you talking about the the Netflix. When you're when you're sitting there in between picking a show, you know you want to watch a show. You're flipping through the shows. You're not picking a show. You're in a state of anxiety at that point. And, and then and as soon as you pick a show, it's over. A very common any action thing I, doesn't matter. Any action. Any action. A very common thing I see happen is in that period of time that it, that pre-choice can almost can be so uncomfortable for people. Some people freeze, mm-hmm. or some people self sabotage. So they take those choices off the table completely because they would rather be comfortable than feel that discomfort. So yeah. when I when I mention like it must be scary for people, I think it's terrifying for some people. And especially those kind of, um, you know, predisposed to, to anxiety, especially on the more severe end. And sometimes I don't even think they know they're self-sabotaging. Well, becoming who you are, Dave, is a lot scarier than just becoming what society wants you to be. Absolutely. It's a lot harder. It's a lot harder. Absolutely. So I guess we should kind of start to describe, since it's a word we're going to be start using or a phrase we're going to start using. Um, and it's kind of littered throughout this book is 
a personal legend. And you see this theme come up in, you know, religions and, you know, books, well, everything. Um, and I guess the personal legends is sort of the path that you are on to self-actualize. Um, Buddhists would say it's enlightenment. Frankl, who we both love so much, would say, you know, when you've, it's the pro, it's not so much finding meaning because you're old, because once you find meaning, you need to find it again. It's the process of finding meaning. Can I, with that Frankl, I think it's, it's less about finding the meaning, but it's, it's that motivation to get to the meaning, right? Mm -hmm. It's the thing that's in our head. It's that I, I really hope, and we'll talk more about that with when we have talk about Frankl at some point, but it's like, I really can't wait to see this. So in order for me to get to that point, I need to have this type of mindset, right? Yeah. You know what you need to do? You need to orient yourself with the future. Yeah. So you need to see yourself somewhere that you want to be. That's sort of like this path is like seeing yourself somewhere where you want to be. And then every, and just stepping towards that. That's what the, your personal legend is. Um, Taoists, they call the Tao itself means path. Aristotle would, I mean, the, the, whatever he would call it wouldn't sort of, it wouldn't translate directly to happiness, but even Aristotle says, you know, how we've talked about it before. Happiness isn't a state that you end up. It's an activity. It's a process, right? Working towards something that's meaningful to you. To you that's what it is. And personal legends, they, they come in steps. You know, it's like one personal legend begets another personal legend. So if what our personal legend at one point, Dave, was getting a graduate degree, you know, and then no matter what happened along the way, oh, I, even if like, you know, we didn't, but say like you failed the class. All right, we failed the class. But this is just a bump in the road. It's an obstacle on our path to where we want to be. That's why orienting yourself with the future, like you brought up, is so important. We have to see where we want to be at least. And it doesn't have to be exactly where we want to be. And that wherever we want to be can change. But we have to sort of see somewhere we want to be and start working towards it. And, you know, it's interesting because we went to the same school. So we were both going towards that degree um, at the same time. And I think we both kind of connected because because our personal legends, uh, so to speak, kind of aligned similar (laughs) similarly like we we had same mindsets and you know i think it's i think it's okay to admit that you know along the way there other were other people um who we had met that they kind of lost that some of that motivation or their personal legend looked a little different and you know that's fine for them but for us i think like we really saw ourselves in a in a certain space down the road and that was I, i i found it to be really relieving to be able to talk to somebody who also saw that for themselves as well. So I think that's why we were able to connect so well um, by the time we were kind of already close to the end of our, of our uh, studies and everything. Dave, if I can have two minutes just to tell a quick Taoist story, (laughs) Um, like just because it's so important that like that this idea of like being who we are is important and why, why it's important. Actually, you know what? I'll use a story from the Tao of Pu. And, um, you know, in that story, you know, you know, because everyone knows who those characters are. There's there's the guy, um, Tigger, right? Bounces around. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And e- Eeyore and Pu and all these guys. So Tigger's bouncing around like he always does. And he knocks the sad, you know, Eeyore into the water. And everyone's like, what the fuck with Tigger? He's always doing this stuff. He's always messing things up. We got to get rid of him. So they 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 conspire and they take him into the woods and they're like, look, Tigger, we've had enough. Like, you, you you, keep knocking everyone around. You're knocking things down, and it's just too much. So they take him to the woods, and they bail on him. They leave him there. And so they're coming back out of the woods, and they're like, oh, my God, we're lost. Like, how do we get out of the woods? And they realize, well, maybe 
Tigger could help because he can jump really high and see over the trees. So they have to go back on bended knee and say, you know, Tigger, like, please, please help us. Like, how do, how do we get out of the woods? And he's happy to help. And it turned out that like this thing that Tigger and everyone else thought was bad about him turned out to be a great strength of his. And this is, this is something that I think, you know, people, when they're forced into, uh, into jobs or personal legends that, you know, aren't their own, it just, it's, it's about embracing who we are and you are just, you're always just going to be who you are and you have to let that shine for whatever reason it needs to be to and you have to wait for that to be an appropriate time and if that makes any sense yeah. you know it, that's actually reminding me of something that um i see come up sometimes where people will talk about this quality about themselves as if it's a negative and it's something that when they say it out loud i'm like what do you think that says about you so for example some people talk about how they're so impacted by others, others, people's emotions and like how easily they can be tear, like they can become teary, they can become overwhelmed or just feel the burden of other people's issues. And I'm like, you're telling me basically you are the most empathetic person I have ever heard of. And you're trying to tell, tell me that's a bad quality. Like think yeah. about how that can be helpful to you. And sure, it might feel out of control right now, but imagine if we um, if we rein that in a little bit. Imagine how powerful that could be for to be able to relate to someone so much that you actually felt it as well. Dave, and isn't that kind of like a skill we have to have a little bit? Dave, I think part of the skills we have to have is take these. You know, if you make something your strength, it can never be your weakness again. Yeah, and that's yeah. just like that's what you're doing for that person. You know, they they see it as a weakness, but if you're like, well. Actually, isn't this kind of a strength? You know, that just completely switches it. Sure. Um, all right. So let's talk about the old man. This is this is someone who Santiago comes across, who is probably the most influential person in the story because he is the one that sort of solidifies and makes Santiago make a decision to, you know, get on this path. So he he sa- he gives a couple um, nice nuggets of wisdom there. He says that the world's greatest lie is that our lives are controlled by fate. And I think people like to think that the, their lives are controlled by fate because it takes all the pressure off of things, yeah. right? You don't have I, to- had a, I had a great conversation recently with somebody about that. And ultimately, you know, I, I it, what he was reflecting to me was like, there might be some some idea of fate in the universe like we definitely all have an end, right? That's one thing that's for certain. Our fate is all the same. Like we're all going to at some point pass away. And there's some qualities about us that can kind of, you know, lead us in certain directions, but we all have the ability to make choices. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, if you're, people want it to be fake because they're hesitant to make the wrong choice. And if they're not making their own choice, then they're denying their own existence because once again, we are our choices. That's why choice is so important. If we're not making our own choices, if we're living for other people's choices or society's choices, we're completely denying our own existence. And if we're denying our own existence, then we're living in that pre-choice. And if we're living in that pre-choice, then we're living in a state of anxiety. So we, we might seem easier to take that, you know, to, to rely on fate. Oh, this is my job. This is just what I have to do. Like this, there's nothing I can do about it. That, that whole attitude, if we live there, that's not easier. Because we're always going to be in anxiety. We're always going to be wondering if we could have done more. And if you, you know, if you try, you never have to wonder. Yeah. He also teaches us that, you know, like we talked about before, society tells us things like bakers are more important than shepherds. And these type of ideas become instinct 
and they deny people their personal journeys. And just kind of like the Tigger thing, you know, if everyone's like, Tigger, you're a piece of shit, he would have never been able to save everyone from the, you know, from the woods. Like, you, that's, you know, it's, it's, maybe it's not the best example, but the guy in the liquor store too, right? I mean, if everyone's telling him, you, you know, you, you're, you're nothing if you do that, but you're denying him a happy life. It's not, it's not right. Yeah. You know, it's also very like, you know, we think about choices and it's very black and white to, to think that if I make this choice and it's wrong, then everything's done or like my life's devastated. It's almost as if we feel that if we make a certain choice, all of our other choices, if that would, let's say we go down that path and we determine, oh, this was the wrong choice or, oh, this isn't for me, that we're never going to have another choice again. Right. And like, when is that ever a thing? Right. And like, we'll find out in the story is he's already made choices that might've like, maybe becoming a shepherd was the wrong choice. And maybe talking to the gypsy was the wrong choice. And maybe talking to this old man is the wrong choice. But they're leading to other choices. And so the wrong choice leads to the right choice. The wrong choice might lead to another wrong choice. But each time you're learning. And there's ser- there's sort of no such thing as the wrong choice because it keeps – that's your path, right? I don't know if you remember this story. You know, I, you talk about the lessons in this book. But the old man tells a little story about the secret of happiness right before Santiago heads, decides to head out on his journey. All right. Well, it's sort of like along the lines of like, there's this super rich guy and he, he, he tells this young man who shows up at his house, I want you to view my whole house. And I want you to tell me what you think about all the beauty of it. I mean, it's just this gigantic, huge house, but he's like, I want you to take this spoonful with two drops of oil on it. And I want you to bring it through the house. Don't drop any of the oil, but view the beauty and come back. And so the guy, the kid comes back after a couple hours and the, the owner of the house is like, so what did you think? Like the most amazing things you've ever seen. Did you see the tapestries? Did you see the beautiful paintings? Did you see, you know, my, my plants or, and whatever else was in there? And the kid was like, oh no, I, I just looked at these drops of oil the whole time because I didn't, I didn't want to spill, spill it. So he's like, all right, well, listen, this time, make sure you see everything, right? Make sure you see everything. And so the kid, he goes again, he goes through the house. This time he sees all these beautiful things. He's blown away by the rugs and the paintings and the people and, and he comes back and, and he's telling the owner, he's like, wow, that was amazing. Like, I, I, you were right. There's the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And the owner of the house is like, well, where's the oil though? And he had dropped it, you know? So it's, it's like sort of learning that, you know, the secret to secret happiness in this, in this story anyway, is, you know, responsibility is a part of it. See the world, see all the good things, but you are going to be, have to be responsible for things. And so it's like learning to find joy in the things that you have to do. I think that's that's the kind of the moral of the story of that. That's a good uh, takeaway. I thought it was just like you can never win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoons aren't great carriers of oil. I didn't, sometimes old people are weird. <laughs> I'm not the greatest vessel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So could have put his hand under the spoon so he could have caught the drops. Maybe I don't I mean, know. What if, I mean, is it poisonous? Because if it was just like olive oil or something, he could have drank it and he's technically yeah. holding it. I don't know. I like, mean, there's a million different ways he could have. Like the least it. inventive kid ever. He didn't even <laughs> yeah. like think of a strategy. I mean, kids these days, I mean, I hate to do that. Listen to me. But I mean, they'd be like, you know, fuck your oil in your house. You know? <laughs> they'd be throw it at the man. <laughs> so, all right. Salt so, the spoon. Santiago, he, you know, so before, so he, the old man put him into this position where, you know, he's like, I, I, you need to sell these sheep to me or at least a portion of them. And, and then you can go on this journey and he gave him a couple of trinkets along the way to help him make decisions. But I don't really think that's that important. But what, what's important about that is he put him in that position where it was like, all right, here's your choice. And 
you know, you either make it or you don't, but in that, that position that you sit and you're, when you're waiting, that's going to be anxiety provoking. So he gets on his path and his first encounter on the path, he, um, he meets this guy and this guy is like going to help him. Um, and this guy ends up robbing him. And so now he has nothing. And what he didn't learn already, which he's probably going to learn now, is he didn't listen to the gypsy woman. He didn't view the world like a child because if he did, he would have seen things for what they were. He wouldn't have been like, oh, this is just someone that's trying to help me. I'm in a new place. Like He would, he would have sort of like had fresh eyes on this whole situation. But he also sort of learns here that you cannot control the things that happen on your path, only the rea your reaction to it. So you, know, you can either quit here or you can realize, oh, this is a bump in the road on my path. And if you're on a path to your personal legends, the bad things that happen, the hardships are obstacles. They're not roadblocks. They don't end it. As long as you keep where you want to be, you know, graduate school for me and Dave. Um, well, we're done with that. But what's next for us, right? Um, you know, that could be anything for anybody. The Olympics for an athlete. As long as you keep that out in front, it doesn't really matter what happens because it's just it's part of this path. It becomes part of this path and it becomes an obstacle in your way. And I think of Marcus Aurelius who says, you know, the impediment of the action becomes the action right? Whatever's getting in the way is the way. So, all right, this, this became a roadblock. So this is your new path. So you have to get through this roadblock. Yeah. So Dave, you have any thoughts on that? No, I just, I mean, that whole scene was like kind of heartbreaking, but also super relatable. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like he, you saw it coming in a way, but you also, you know, if you're somewhat naive, you, you know, tend to think that people are trying are out there to help you when you're in distress and not necessarily just trying to prey on you. So, you know, something that could happen to any single one of us could easily deter us from our path. <clears throat> yeah. Right. And that's, so, that's the lesson there is you can't necessarily take this thing that could happen to anybody and make that the reason you don't move forward. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. And so what does this thing do? This thing that happens to him instead of it being it ending his path, which, which is what, you know, that's a choice to decide, like, does this end my path or do I continue on? And when he continues on, he ends up working for a crystal merchant. He, he encounters this like crystal merchant who has dirty <laughs> crystal and he starts cleaning it, you know, or, or he asks if he can clean it, if he can have enough money to either get some food or get back to home, whatever it is. But this is a, this is a part of his personal legend. He just doesn't even realize it yet. So, the crystal merchant offers some wisdom right away and, and says, "Cleaning the crystal cleanse, cleanse him of his negative thoughts." And so he thinks that he should he should do that for now, and that that would help him. I mean, right there, it's like mindfulness. So it's the the lessons in this thing are are insane. Isn't that also kind of like reframing as well, though? The cleaning the crystal cleansed of the ne negative thoughts. So it's still the same crystal. We're just viewing it differently. Um, we took an action and we just are kind of now viewing it differently. So it's suddenly I'm not looking at it negatively. Right. I exactly, exactly. Right. And so he, so another lesson he sort of picks up from the crystal merchant is that the, the crystal merchant like him had a personal legend. He, the crystal merchant always wanted to go to Mecca and he, yeah. he just sort of, um, he lets societal demands get in the way, so he never pursued it. But he's still talking about it now, years and years and years and years later. So that that sort of is an indicator of how important it is to to sort of discover who you are and who you want to be and pursue it. So he he did really well there. 
he, you know, he, he ended up creating more and more business. So the cleaning the crystal, believe it or not, made it more appeal, appealing to, to buyers. So that worked. And then he started selling tea and had all these great ideas and grew the guy's business so much so that it became that, you know, it, it, there's another lesson there where the, the crystal merchant didn't follow his personal, personal legend initially because his business didn't go that well and he wasn't able to do it. So things didn't go well. So he wasn't able to fulfill his personal legend. And now since Santiago showed up and turned his business around, things were going so good that he didn't follow his personal legend, right? Because right. he's going to stay and do this. So that's it's 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 a nice way to see like the things can go either too good or too bad and block who you want to be. Like even like don't, you hear about like millionaires or whatever. Yeah, don't we hear that story all the time? Yeah. Where you know a, a good example of that is the person that has these um, these goals you know, I want to go to school, I want to pursue this career. And then they have a, they have a child. Yep. And because of that child, they are not able to go. Right. And they aren't able to pursue that. They have to put that on hold. Well, they decide then, they're not able to. Yeah. They They make that decision. Whereas, yeah. you know, and every person's situation is different. So, you know, if they have the resources and the supports, maybe they would have been able to do it, but they've made that personal decision not to whatever it is. And then after, you know, the child's a little older, they, they're they presented with that question again. But sometimes you hear sometimes like, oh, it's that's kind of in the past or, oh, yeah. I'm not I'm I'm too old at this point. Or they've established a new life and they now they have new reasons why they can't pursue that. But it's still there for them sometimes, you know. Right. And if it's still something that they want, they should always pursue it. That's not to say that maybe they have a, maybe they have a kid and now their personal legend changes. That's OK, too. Right. As long as it's something you authentically want and you authentically want to pursue it and not make excuses for it. So if that's something. So say that person had a child and they always wanted to be a nurse and then they just couched it forever and and said it was before. I mean, that's going to cause resentment for I mean, on some level for their for their own child. I mean, it's and it's, you know, it's like that thing we talked about before. Okay, that's an obstacle. So the the personal legend sort of changes into how do I become a nurse and a mother? Not I have to choose one. Right. This side lesson was kind of personal to me as well, um, because I found myself doing this for a very long time. My work progressed into getting different positions that kind of gave me more responsibility. And I put off, you know, finishing school, going back for graduate for a very long time until at some point I actually started to miss opportunities that I was like, I would really love to have that, pursue that opportunity, but I can't. Uh, yeah. And that was kind of one of the the other big things that kind of motivated me to just say, all right, it's either you got to do this or you're just going to not do whatever and not think about it anymore. So I've, at some point I had to make that decision. But yeah, that it's there's so many situations and so many circumstances that make us put things that we want to pursue on hold. And it's important to kind of understand what that can create within us when we do put that on hold, that anxiety. Yeah, you're just hitting exactly like you're making so much sense right now. So that's what I think the omens are. So I think the omens, they create anxiety because they offer choice and choice not yet act upon, acted upon is anxiety. But in your case, like your example, it's like the omen would be something sparks it again. Like say it gets like, like exactly what you're talking about. So that omen is, oh, you see a job opportunity and, and, you know, you're like, oh, I can't get that because I didn't do this thing. That's that's an omen. 
How is yeah. that not a gnome, right? Yeah. That's that's exactly that what reminder. It is. It's yep. that, yeah, it's like a spark. Like, oh, that's right. I wanted to do that thing a long time ago. Do I still want to do that thing? It's an omen, right? You know, and it's and it's almost true what they say early in this book that I don't know if you've kind of feel the same way, but the universe. I mean, this just sounds so kitschy, but I don't know if it's true or not. But maybe it's just if it's like momentum or something. But when you decide you really want to do something, the world kind of conspires with you to get it done. Do you feel that at all? I mean, you know, somehow, somehow, two dopes like me and you made it through school. I mean, some something something had a hand in that, right? I I so that's a little bit of fate. That's a little bit of fate right there. Okay, my bad. And, no, I, but I kind of agree with it. I I think that there is a little bit of fate, a little bit of a destiny. Bit of like, but then it's on us, right? Mm-hmm. And then that comes yeah, to action. Course. So it's interesting because, like, yeah, there is something about the way the universe works to help people get to where they want to be. But if they never take that step, it's not going to happen, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, that. It, that's that action that you're talking about. And I don't know if it's, like, there's those quotes about, like, the, the world helps the bold or something. But it's only because the people getting action are the only ones putting themselves out there enough to make something happen. You know, I, I mean, you're, he's not going to he's not going to get all these opportunities if he's, if he's a shepherd still sitting under a tree or something, it, yeah. unless you're out there doing, doing things, you know, we have opportunities. We've, we we're, we're finding that we're, you know, me and you, you and I, whatever are coming across opportunities in our professional life. And that's not because, you know, people are calling us being like, Hey, you want to do this thing for me? Like I heard you were a right. cool guy. No, it's because right. we're putting ourselves out there constantly and, and making, yeah. you know, making ourselves, Can you know, get at forcing ourselves out there. So, Santiago leaves the crystal shop because of an omen. What is that omen? I forgot, but it doesn't matter. I forget too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he go, he decides that it's time to cross that desert and get, you know, to meet the, well, he doesn't even know about the alchemist yet, but to find his treasure. And so he goes to like one of the people who bring the crystal to the crystal uh, dealer and it's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to cross the desert with you guys. If that's, if that's fine. And apparently it's fine. So he, the first person he meets is, uh, the Englishman. Okay. So the Englishman, he was looking for the alchemist and what he learned from the alchemist was that before you really know what you need help with, you have to try on your own first. Right. I, let me, let me try to make sense of that. Um, okay. So when I published books, I had no idea where, where, like where to go with that, what to do with that. And, I had to find a way to understand that that process. So I had to meet people who, so before I could ask, like, how do you publish a book? I had to try. I had to like, all right, so where do I even go? I had to call people. I had to do things. I had to meet people who have published books. So it's about trying first and then you can sort of get help. So you need to know what the right questions first by trying. Like you don't even know what questions to ask if you haven't tried yet. That's, I guess, essentially what, what the Englishman learned. And also the Englishman, one of his weaknesses was that he was so smart. He read so many books, you know, We've come across these people, right, in academia, where like oh they know God, yes. front and back. See, they know every element of CBT, DBT. They know they know things front and back, but they can't empty their brain enough to view the world like a child. Where they can, someone could be having, you know, so there could be something so simple that's wrong with someone. They could just need a little. They could just need you to be there, be with them for a minute, and they're they're kind of like flipping through all their books, wondering what it is. And it's just if they could just clear their mind and be there, then things would reveal themselves to them a lot easier. And so that's that's sort of who the Englishman represents. So at Crossing Desert, he talks to a couple people. He, um, the one of the another very important person that he learns a lot from is the caravan leader and the desert itself. The vastness of the desert it makes you feel small, and your problems feel small and humbling. 
And the trek across the desert itself is a great example of a metaphor for our personal legend. It's, you know, you're going to have to cross this desert and you know where you want to go. You want to get to the oasis. But in between where you are in the oasis, there's going to be lots of problems that you have no idea what they are yet. It could be like quicksand. That used to be a bigger thing when we were growing up. Uh, there could be like cactuses and snakes and scorpions, all these things that you're not sure about. But as long as you have that view of where you want to be, it doesn't matter because your personal legend is going to take you there because you'll get through those obstacles because you ha- you have, you're orienting yourself with where you want to be in the future. Kind of like what we were talking about with, you know, the need to go to telehealth to continue a journey, right? And exactly, not exactly. the orthodox way. And the caravan leader also talks about something that sort of can be related to my- mindfulness too. He talks about how he doesn't live in the past. He mm-hmm. doesn't live in the future. He focuses on the present. So this way you can sort of extend beautiful moments. And if you improve the the present, you improve the past and you improve the future. But I like the idea of extending beautiful moments. Like, what can, you know, when you think of those beautiful moments in your life, like for me, I don't know, Christmas morning, I'm sort of that kind of guy. I like Halloween night with my kids, like the, these kinds of things. Um, you know, a nice dinner with Tosh, you know, it's some, something like that. If I can just, if you can just learn to be in those moments and extend them as long as you can and be in that present moment, as long as you can not start thinking about the things you need to do or the things that have happened in your life. I think it's a great lesson. I think that's sort of the kind of lesson that you only can learn sitting in the middle of the fucking desert. Right. right. I mean, it's something right. you said for that too. At the same time, you know, it, while staying in that moment is, is so important, it's missing any of the, the future uh, thought, right? Yeah. So yeah. also kind of causing him to stay within his role of the caravan leader and not pursuing something further. Right. So right. while that's so important, I mean, I think we talk about this with people all the time. It's like a little bit of anxiety is also helpful. A little bit of, um, you know, past thought is great because then we learn from our mistakes and we don't just recreate them a thousand times over. It's just that little bit of anxiety is just a call to action. It's just our like our body telling us, like, we got something we need to do. If you can view it that way, I mean, I think things – and even the caravan leader says that every, every decision that you make is, like, jumping into a current. There's no where – it's all sort of this, like, same theme. There's no way of knowing, you know, what's going to happen once you make a, a decision like that. It's just – just listen to the omens or, or your inner nature or who you are and, you know, listen to – or that anxiety. Listen to that stuff. Because that anxiety is going to tell you something needs to be done, good or bad, um, and, and you'll be okay. It's just know where you want to be. Okay, so when he does finally make it to the oasis, he falls in love, you know? He falls in love with Fatima, and, you know, he's he sort of comes in danger of abandoning his personal legend for love. Yeah. But yep. she makes it clear that if it's true love, no one's ever going to get in the way of your personal journeys. And it's like, kind of like when I talk to couples, I sort of tell them, you know, neither of you are responsible for each other's happiness. You're only responsible to not get in the way of each other's happiness, like support each other, you know, like, I mean, that's like easier said than done, but I think that's pretty, pretty much what's going on here. This was a really tough moment for him because the odds of him not coming back and ever seeing her again were very high, right? They recognize yeah. that's like numerous times in here that somebody could get killed. Like you're going to go face this like really dangerous journey. When you come back, she might not be there. Like so many things could go wrong. And it's the closer he gets to being who he wants to be, the harder it gets. Yeah. Because now he's like, like he's, 
like, cause it's starting to seem like, oh yeah, this, just this path I'm on and which life is stay on a path. But this path he's on is like bring him experiences and, and he's meeting people and he's starting to think he's like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my personal legend. Maybe I'm just supposed to sit here with Fatima and be in love. And maybe that would be it. If, if there weren't more omens and feelings and anxiety, the anxiety is telling him, no, we're not quite there yet. Anxiety plays a dual role because it's the what ifs, but it's also that what if that's like, is that even worth pursuing? Cause I could get there and that might not be anything. Right. right. That could be, yeah. this could have all been a fraud and I could get there and there's no, like, there's no such thing as the personal legend. Yeah. But you know, what will happen is you'll understand, you'll understand. Yeah. You'll never know unless you try. And so, so, so even if you do that and you go through what you just said, the one thing you got rid of is the anxiety because yeah. you tried, you did something, you took action. And the chieftains, you know, they made him their his counselor because he was able to, he's, Santiago has gotten really good at being able to clear his mind and see the omens and, and sort of listen to, you know, see what's, what's really right in front of you. And that, that's sort of hard to do for adults. It's sort of something that children do really well. And, you know, because he's able to become a blank slate, they, they made him... A council, so things are really, really going good for him over there. So he, so what, what is the next thing that's going to drive him to keep pushing forward? And that next thing is he meets the alchemist, and you know the alchemist. I don't know, Dave. Let me ask you this first. I think by the time we get to the alchemist, I think we've had a ton of legends. I mean, ton of um, lessons already, and it's almost like, yeah, um, you know, there, there are a few things that I, I like that I took from the alchemists that I think that are really cool. And it's just yeah. sort of a different way of, it's like he, he's able to sort of point to everything that we should have picked up in the book so far, you know? So he says things like, you know, he just has great little, so the journey gets harder, the closer you get. We sort of talked about that. Yeah. And he says the darkest hour of the night comes just before the dawn. And that's every hero's journey. So I think that's to keep your strength up. I think that's sort of his um, message. And he he's, talks about the dangers of ignoring your personal journey. And you, he talks about how your personal legends can be small, just like in our cases, just, you know, even, even going for a, a run or a workout, the goals are just meant to be, get you moving. They're not necessarily yeah. meant to, you know, you're not supposed to reach every goal. Goals lead to more goals. So he kind of talks about how like, you know, in Santiago's case, it's this huge personal legend, but in our cases, it can be small ones that lead to big ones that lead to bigger ones. He says something else that I really like, and it's that your eyes show the strength of your soul. He talks about that when he's talking to like one of the guards or something. And that made me think of, you know, I have this person who who had like a severe trauma and, and, you know, she's this young, really nice girl and she's just always kind of sad. And, I, and, you know, and I told her, like, I was like, if someone came in here, they, they would be able to tell that you were depressed with it just by yeah. looking at you right now. Like, that totally just rang true for so many, I just thought about so many people that I work with that I can pretty much tell what they're feeling when, they, as soon as they come yeah. in. Right. But then, you know what you do, Dave? Like, so, so he talks about the power of your eyes being the strength of your soul, but that doesn't stop at your eyes. It's like, I may, I asked her to smile and hold it. And, and like, you want to talk about feeling inauthentic, right. But like you hold it and then I'm like, Oh, look at that smile. And you're kind of like, you make a little joke about it. And then it turns to this, like, you can't sit there with a smile on your face, even if it's a fake one, and, and and stay in that really bummer place. But but there is power in those things. There there are power in and just like your eyes and your smile and, and the way you're presenting yourself. It's it's sort of 
even if you don't feel that way inside, it'll, it'll make you feel that way. It's a transformative, you know? And the last lesson of the alchemist that I, I think that we've talked about. So we've, we've, we did an amazing job of already fi- figuring out these lessons, I think. Um, but I, I think, you know, when we talked about, oh, that the baker is better than this or the liquor store is better than this. He, when Santiago asks him like, Hey, I want to learn that thing about uh, turning, you know, cause when you think of an alchemist, that's what like historically an alchemist could turn metal, any metal into gold. That's part of like what being an alchemist is. Um, and what he, what he says to him is, you know, essentially that why would I want to turn lead or steel or copper into gold? And then I'm, I'm destroying their personal legends. Like that's not who they want to be. That's not who they're supposed to be. And I thought that was kind of, kind of great. Like, like, no, like lead's cool the way it is. Like why, why do we feel like we have to make lead better? That's like such a great metaphor for, you know, people like when people feel about their jobs, how people feel about themselves. I think it's I think that's great. I agree. I think that's I think that's probably one of the best takeaways. Well, there's a lot of takeaways. but That's one of the better takeaways of this book is assuming that there is, you know, we have to go by these societal standards of what's best for us in order to determine who we should be. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of acceptance of who we are. That that's it, Dave. I mean, acceptance is a huge acceptance, awareness, these are these are huge components. And then like finally it kind of goes off the rails a little bit and and Santiago has to like bec- become the wind and, and sort of like defeat an army. But I think I think they that Paolo Coelho <laughs> did this and I think he this this I was trying I was thinking and thinking and thinking of like why what this even means with the language of the universe and why why it's in, why is he like need to turn into the wind to destroy this army or whatever. But I think what, what it came down to was the language of the universe is the interconnectedness of all of us. And, you know, we cannot achieve our personal legends alone. We need the help and lessons of others. And when he's calling on the desert, he's like, desert, help me become the wind. And and then, so the wind has the, the desert has to help ask the sun or the, or the heaven or the wind. But the point is like all these things that seem so powerful and that wouldn't need help from anybody. They need to ask all these, all these elements. They have to ask sure. each other for help, you know? You know and that's I, just, I didn't even, I didn't even make that connection at all. No, I'm going to be mean, honest with it. you. I could have totally done without the last, <laughs> this last portion. Um, know, by did. the time we got to here, I was like, you know what? I, I've pretty much gotten every lesson I think I need. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, this, this whole part felt a little different to me. But when you say that, I, I get what you're saying. It's, there's still a reliance we have on others around us, right. To, to achieve our personal legend and throughout his whole journey, he's relying on others. Yeah, of course. The lessons he picks from everyone, he would be getting, he'd get nothing is. Yeah, exactly. Nothing is done completely solo. Everything is guided by others. And we all, as we go through life are guided by others in one way, shape or form, right? No, as much as we are very individualistic in society and especially in our culture, we are constantly, you know, bouncing ideas off each other, getting, getting um, guidance from others, looking for favors from others, getting connections with people. We're just constantly connected with each other, even though we focus so much on individuality. And even when we think, even when we when something that's that's not so great happens, like when he gets robbed, that was sort of a blessing too. That that robber helped him meet the crystal merchant, and without yeah. the crystal merchant, he never crosses the desert. You know, so it's like understanding this is all interconnected. I think that also really points out this idea that like 
when we're going for for something, we have this idea of what that journey is going to look like. We have an idea of like what the path is going to be paved with and, you know, how we're going to get there. And then we can get really, really thrown off when something comes at, that's not expected. And yeah. like we talked about before, it's like that, that can be a moment where we lose our, our motivation to continue on, or we just get so thrown off, we can't continue. But everybody's journey, it looks different. There's no clear path. There's no, like, this is the way you have to do it. We have to roll with the punches. That's exactly right. That idea of rolling with the punches and just sort of use it, relying on our own nature and and, and our, you know, our choices, um, just sort of like being part of the current, just letting these sort of things happen and, and understanding this is just part of it. This is just part of, you know, as long as you're, you have, I think, sort of good intentions and you're, you're working towards something that's meaningful to, to you. I mean, I think we're perfect here. I think, Dave, I think that's pretty good, right? I think that was excellent. Uh, it was a great kind of summary, analyzation, whatever we want to call it, of The Alchemist. I just I hope people have read it. To, I don't even think they need <laughs> to read it now. Like, you know, you, we, you just laid it out there for them. So I think that was excellent, Greg. Thank you for kind of breaking it down the way you did. <laughs> so Greg, um, yeah, I think, you know, this was a nice breakdown and hopefully we're going to introduce other books, other topics to analyze and break down. What do you think? I think it's fun that we left this thing so wide open to where we can kind of take anything and see what we can pick up from it, see what we can yeah. learn from it. You know, I agree. And I really hope that um, people feel like they got some takeaways from this. Um, and I hope that people also kind of see The Alchemist not only as a book that can help them, but if you're in this field and you're in this work, that maybe it's a book that you even look at as kind of a teaching tool for others. Because I know that that's been helpful to Greg and I. I've also shared the book with um, with patients um, at this point as well, just to and I've used this topic of personal legend numerous times. And yeah. I, I thank Greg for introducing that to me because it wasn't something that I had even thought to. Uh, I don't know even know how I came across it, Dave. To be honest, I don't. I, I honestly don't. I mean, really? it's wild. But I just picked it up and and started reading, and because of the cover, kind of kind of cool cover. But honestly, I, I I read it and I was like, wow, there's. Like right away, you know, if you, if when people, if people do try the book, I think like right away, you're going to say, oh, there's something special about this book. I mean, it's written in almost, it's almost like a philosopher. It's almost like it is written by an alchemist, like what you would consider, like it's, it's this weird mystic sort of ancient wisdom vibe to the whole thing where I'm like, I, what is this, what is this Paulo guy? Does he live in a, I mean, he lives in a castle, right? I mean, well, yeah. you know, does he live in the desert? I don't know. But I mean, people, I think people will get the same vibe from it. Like, I, like I don't want to meet him. I don't want to see what he looks like. I don't want to look him up online. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just want I just want to keep it yeah. like, you know, agreed, agreed. So, all right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening. Greg, thanks for, you know, taking the time to really break down this book. I'm sorry. I just keep picturing like now I'm ruining it. For me. I just keep picturing Paulo after like <laughs> writing this down. And like sitting down and watching Alf because it's just like <laughs> that in 1988. That was yeah, huge. Like I mean, crazy. But anyways, all right, outro us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all right, well, everybody, we will be back um, with another episode coming up where and we'll overanalyze everything and everything and anything in that as well. So uh, everybody, have a great night. Thank you for listening. <laughs>